Amen. Thank you, Taylor. If you would open your Bibles with me this evening to the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew, so we're going verse by verse, and I want to just make a mention of something tonight. Uh, you're the Sunday night crowd. I can say a little more sometimes to you than I can on Sunday morning, but as you know, we'll be having revival here in uh, two Sundays. Brother John will be coming, and as you know, our church always sets up an amount of money that we pay the evangelist. It's a set amount, that way we always give a certain amount. But we also encourage you to give, to give above and beyond that and to be generous. Uh, last time that you, the Brother John was here, it was the biggest offering he'd ever received as an evangelist. And uh, I want us to be a blessing to him. Uh, and so I want you to be praying saving, giving, whatever it takes for us to be a blessing to him. If you're not aware, he has found his replacement. Uh, the church has voted on his replacement, and his replacement will be taking over, I believe it is in April, just like it took on here. So him and Sherry are entering a new season of life, and I teased him. I said, well, I'm not going to believe that you're going to retire because you already lied to me once uh, when you did, did that here to us. But, uh, and so I really want you to pray about being generous and if you are able to give to him, our evangelist, as he comes. And so uh, I can say that on a Sunday night and I can't say it on a Sunday morning because we got a lot of people say, well, it's all about money. And I'm telling you what, the Bible says to bless those who preach the word. And so I believe we ought to do that. And God's people said, amen. amen. So. Matthew chapter 18, we are continuing through this chapter about being a real church. And you say, well, Jake, all churches are real churches. No, most churches are buildings that people move and meet into. But in the 18th chapter, we've looked at how Jesus began to talk about what it takes to be a part of the faith. And then we looked about how the fact that how do you handle when offenses are given to you? We looked about how Jesus wants us to pursue the lost believer, the believer that has gone astray, not lost their salvation, but has backslidden. And then two weeks ago, thank Larry for filling in for me last week, we dealt two weeks ago with when someone sins against you and how we go to that brother in love. And I think it's interesting for us, we have most likely read the book of Matthew multiple times. We've been through it in Sunday school, and so the idea of forgiving people to us is a concept that we have heard, and we've heard, and we've heard, and most of us, if we're honest, have been ignoring it for years, and so it's just a typical thing. But if you were a disciple listening to Jesus teach this for the first time, and you're sitting with James and John, and, and you're sitting with uh, uh, Peter, and Jesus begins to talk to you about when your brother sins against you, go to them. And then if they won't listen, take two of you with them. And, and if they won't listen, then bring them before the whole church. They're thinking, holy moly. And I can imagine that their next response is, like most of us, how many times do we have to forgive? This is the first time they're hearing it. Right, the Jewish tradition is as long as you forgive seven times, then you're okay. So they're probably thinking, okay, we can forgive seven times. But I want you to listen to what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. 
when talking about how God is going to work in your life. The Holy Spirit, how He's going to lead you, move, work in your life. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, starting in verse 30, Paul writes these words. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so it is possible to limit what God is wanting to do in your life. It is possible to limit what God wants to do in his church. You say, Jake, why? I don't know why God does that. It's a choice he makes. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he lists what will grieve the Holy Spirit. He gets specific for you and I so that we can evaluate our lives. It says in verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. He says these things will grieve the Holy Spirit. But then he tells us not what we shouldn't do, but also what we should do. In verse 32, it says, and be kind to one another. I heard a guy talk about that this morning. Tender-hearted. And here is the focus of our sermon tonight from the text in Matthew 18. Forgiving one another. You say, well, Jake, you just harped on us this morning. Apparently, you didn't get it because God has us here again tonight. Or apparently, I didn't get it. But don't miss this. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so you say, well, Jake, I'll forgive, but it's not that important. Paul puts on there through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and just do it like Jesus did. We talk about that in songs, don't we? I want to love like Jesus. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to make a difference for Jesus. And what Paul says is, if you want to be like Jesus, forgive. And so tonight, if you would pray with me, we're going to jump right into this wonderful text, difficult text, but wonderful text. Father, tonight, Lord, I thank you for being willing to forgive us. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. But yet you freely offer it. But yet, Lord, it cost you everything to purchase it on Calvary. Lord, tonight I know that any time we talk about forgiveness, Lord, there is so much hurt and pain, Lord, in my life and the life of others, Lord, that it's so easy to say I'm not going to or, or make excuses for why we don't. But tonight, God, we want to see you move. We want to see you save. We want to see you work. And so tonight, Lord, remove the things that are hindering and limiting and grieving who you are tonight. And so, Father, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. If you're taking notes tonight, we see what a great amount we have been forgiven. We see what a great amount we have been forgiven. So we start in verse 21, going verse by verse through this text. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Literally, what we had just described is exactly what happens. Peter's here and I've got to forgive and I've got to forgive and I've got to forgive. And he's thinking, how can I limit the damage here? And most of us are that way, aren't we? God's word tells us something and we say, I know it says that. But I know it's what God wants for me, but if I could just figure out of it. But it goes on in verse 22 and says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you 
up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. If you know anything about the Bible, it just pretty much means an infinite number of times. See, forgiveness is not an emotion, is what Adrian Rogers says. It is a choice. But it goes on in verse 23 and says, Jesus begins to teach this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him whom owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, put in a debtor's prison with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. As many Bible scholars have said, and as I read when Adrian Rogers wrote, that the talents that they are talking about here today would have been almost equivalent to 10,000 men working for 17 years. In today's equivalent of money, it would have been billions of dollars. Think about this. The Old Testament tells us that the temple, Solomon's temple, was covered with 8,000 talents of gold. And so more than was put all over the temple, this man owes. You say, Jake, what does it mean by a settling of account? They just did an audit, right? They brought in the accountant, they brought in the person, and they went through all the books, and they find out that this man owes more money than can ever be paid. If I am writing the Bible, I'm saying, well, who lent him the money, right? And that's when Jesus would say, that's not important. It's a parable, all right? Don't worry about the things that don't matter. But he tells us here that this is an amount that can never be repaid. It's an amount that can never be worked off. And it is going to cost this man his life, his family's life. They're all being sold into a life of slavery, into a life of paying this debt off. And you say, Jake, that is overwhelming. It's so much. And friends, we see here, though, that he is trying to give us the equivalent of what you and I have been forgiven in regards to our sin. Friends, there is no limit to the amount of sin that we have committed. It is Im- insurmountable, uncountable. The sin that you and I are stained with has corrupted everything about us. But yet, God tells us and is teaching us that we have been forgiven. We have been washed as white as snow. And look what he says here in verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, Have patient with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. If you remember this morning when Jesus was looking out over the thousands of people that he was going to fed, the Bible says he was moved with compassion. If you read the story when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he is weeping over the city, he is moved because of compassion and a desire to show mercy. You see here that Jesus is teaching we have been forgiven so much. And tonight when we look at unforgiveness, when we look at the idea that we can hold on to a grudge, when we look on the fact that I don't have to forgive, what he's saying is, no, you have no choice. You have been forgiven everything if you were saved. 
You say, Jake, I've really not been that bad in my life. I've really not done enough to, to, make, it, to make it a big deal. Friends, you are a liar. Because the Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked. And the Bible says that we have nothing good. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We owed a debt we could not pay. 1 Peter, the second chapter, describes it like this, starting in verse 22. Who committed no sin, talking about Jesus, nor was deceit found in his mouth? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, don't miss that. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Did you notice that he started out there with, who committed no sin? You see, in our minds, we try to explain everything away. Well, I don't have to forgive. I, I don't have to extend mercy. I don't have to do this. I was wronged. I was the victim. But yet he starts out by reminding you and I that Jesus had done nothing to deserve the punishment that he was going to take. He did nothing to deserve the cross. He did nothing to deserve the mockery and the beating and the torture that he took. But yet, even though he did not deserve it, he willingly did it. So that why? Jacob Gray could be forgiven. So that you could be forgiven. And he says that in this passage of Scripture. And he's talking about this fact about compassion and being forgiven. I would like to encourage you one of these days, now that you're all saved and mature and God's gift to the world, to go back and write the sins that you're most thankful that God forgave you for. You say, well, Jake, there's too many to count. That's absolutely right. Friends, the pages would go on and on and on and on. Because why? We are sinners. We were on our way to hell and an eternity away from God. But not only was there much to be forgiven, the second thing I want to show you tonight is forgiving others is a choice you must make. I cannot choose you to forgive. I cannot choose for you not to forgive. It's a choice that you must make. Look what it says in verses 28 through 31. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, about a hundred days worth of labor. So a substantial amount, but nothing compared to what was forgiven. And laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Don't miss the significance of this. Saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Don't miss it. It's the exact same request. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So, when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. 
You say, Jake, this is the epitome of hypocrisy. This is literally a clear story of someone taking advantage of someone's mercy and grace. Friends, tonight, before you have a David and the prophet moment, if you remember when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and covered up her husband's murder, brought her into his house, he thought he got away with it. And God sent a prophet to him to tell him a story about a man who had one little animal and a man who owned all the animals. And he said that man who owned all the animals wanted that one little animal that that other man had had. And so he took it. He took it. If you remember that, David was outraged, right? That man should be put to death. That can't be, that can't go on. And what did the prophet say? That man is you. You have done that with Bathsheba. And friends, tonight, before you and I get on our high high horses of holy rollers, this story is about us. When we do not forgive other people. Jesus is teaching on forgiveness. We see here that the request was exactly the same. Have patience with me. And I will pay you all. You see, friends, tonight, God willingly forgave you when you called upon His name. He didn't have to, but He did. And friends, tonight, the question is this. You have a choice to forgive others. Matthew, the sixth chapter, describes it like this, starting in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. You see, friends, forgiveness is not optional for a Christian. Forgiveness is a mandate from heaven. Forgiveness is something that the Word of God commands that Jesus modeled. And friends, I've heard Adrian Rogers say this and I believe it. There are two things that destroy God's people. One is bitterness and one is guilt. Bitterness happens when you have been wronged and you cannot let it go. It is something that will eat at you. It is something that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 said grieves the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Because why? Anger turns to hate. Hate turns to bitterness. Bitterness turns to unforgiveness. And it will corrupt everything that God is trying to do in your life. You say, well, what about guilt? Guilt is damaging because it convinces us that we have only done wrong. Well, I I must have done something to deserve this. I must have done something to earn this treatment. I must be the problem. I must be at fault. And that guilt will eat you alive. But the cure to bitterness and the cure to forgiveness comes in the same bottle. Comes in the bottle of forgiveness. Because when you forgive others, the bitterness that you can be infected with, God can remove. And when you know that you can be forgiven, it removes the guilt and the shame that you carry. You see tonight, the greatest need of this church, the greatest need of churches in the world is to learn how 
to forgive. But it's also to learn how to be forgiven. Many of you tonight are carrying around the guilt of what God has already forgiven you from. Many of you love to bring up the guilt of other people that have hurt you. But tonight, if you want to see God at work in your life and in this church, you have to make a choice to say, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive even if they don't ask. I'm going to forgive even if it doesn't make sense. I'm going to forgive because I want God to set me free. You see, unforgiveness is a chain and a ball that will follow you everywhere. It'll rob you of your joy. It will rob you of your peace. It will rob you of your trust. And you say, Pastor, you're meddling tonight. I did not write Matthew chapter 18. I would have left it out too. I don't like to forgive people either. I can hold a grudge with the best of them. But the third thing I want to show you tonight is not only were we forgiven a great amount, not only is forgiveness a choice, there is great blessing or great danger in our choice. It is a choice that will have great consequences or great blessings on you. In verse 32, after the master has been told about this situation, the Bible says these words, Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Don't miss that. That's the earthly story. And just in case you think it doesn't have an application for you, Jesus says, listen up. So my heavenly father... Don't miss this. Also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You know, I did all the way. I did okay all the way to verse 34. I made excuses like, well, I don't believe in debt. I, I don't like debt. I, and I, I own my cars. You know, I, I'm good. I'm not going to be thrown into a debtor's prison. But that last verse makes it clear that there's no way to explain your way out of it. There is no way to try to make excuses. Jesus tells us a strict warning. And I want to read it again because I don't want you to think it's my warning. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I want you to notice that he says there from his heart. Do you know we can fake forgiveness? Oh, we can stand out in the church lobby and I can talk about how wonderful you are and just how great I'm and happy I am that you're here. And Oh, I'm just so thankful for you. But in my heart, I can have so much bitterness and unforgiveness toward a person. They say, preacher, you've been pretty hard on yourself this morning. I didn't write the text and I don't do the convicting. That's all the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I've never done that. Well, that's good because you're a liar. You might not have done it in the church lobby, but I can promise you you've done it at work. <laughs> I, tell, I just want you to know this, that I have, I have had people in my office say, I don't like so-and-so. I'm just so tired of them. I can't believe they go to church here. I'll be in the lobby and you'll be out there. Oh, I'm just so glad you're here. Oh, you're just so wonderful. And the pastor in me wants to say, 
Liar! But I don't. Not yet, at least. If I get old and senile, it might happen. But, but he says they're in your heart. Because, friends, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. And, friends, that's what we do in church, right? I forgave. I, I forget. I went to the altar. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be nice to him when I see him. You said I had to do good, Pastor, this morning. That's what it said. And I don't want nothing in return. But deep down, if they were to get some bad news or if something was to come out bad about them, you know what you'd do? Not only want to see it, you'd go, I knew it. I knew that's how they were. I knew that's what they were really like. But yet the Bible tells us not to rejoice. Not to celebrate the stumbling of another brother. That's why he says it's a heart issue. Forgiveness is something that you have to do when the Spirit of God convicts you and you have to make a choice in your heart. Not an outward superficial, but I am going to forgive from the innermost being of who I am. You say, well, Jake, I think I'll take my chances. Well, I want you to hear one more warning in James chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One of these days when I stand before the Lord, you know what I want? I don't want judgment. I don't want any part of that. I know how wicked I am. And when I stand before Jesus one of these days and I kneel, I want mercy. I want as much as he can pour out on my account. You say, Jake, well, how much is that? I'm glad you asked. It started on a hill called Calvary. When mercy, when mercy was given through the death and punishment of Jesus Christ. He died so that he could extend mercy to you and I. And so friends, one of these days when I stand before Jesus, kneel, fall on my face, whatever it looks like, if he asks why I should be allowed to enter into heaven, it's going to be because of one reason. God was merciful to me. Because Jesus Christ died in my place. Took the punishment that I deserve. The death, the burial, and resurrection that I could not win. He won it. But what does he say to do with that gift that I've been given? To extend mercy to other people. Now I know what's going on in your mind tonight. There are some of you that are saying, Jake, I am really hurt. And I'm really struggling with this. That's why it's a God thing. I can't help you. Your neighbor can't help you forgive. You have to be willing to get along with God in your prayer closet. And open up this book. And say God. You are going to have to show me how to forgive. You know what the great thing about when you ask him that is? He knows how to forgive. And he will teach you. He will show you. How. To forgive. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, Jake, I don't want to forgive. I just don't want to. Well, tonight I'm going to tell you that you need to get along with God. 
And you need to ask the Holy Spirit to do only what he can do. And that's change your heart. I, I, I can preach every Sunday for the next 38 years on forgiveness. But if you don't let the Spirit of God deal with your heart, guess what will happen? You'll just get more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. And you'll get more angry at me. And so tonight, maybe you're hurt, struggling with forgiveness. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't want to forgive. Or maybe you're here tonight and you cannot let God forgive you. Tonight, I want to speak to you for just a moment. If God has forgiven you, you have to learn to trust Him. Friends, guilt will ruin what God wants to do in your life. And it works two ways. One, it hinders you from stepping out in faith. Well, you know, I, I can't sing like Taylor. There's no doubt about that. But I can tell you, if I was to sing, there's times I'd think, well, you know what, I, I probably shouldn't be up there on stage singing. I, I kind of know what I was like before I got saved. I know what I've been like since I was saved. I, I, don't, I don't deserve to sing. I better not sing. I'll, I'll let someone else that's, that's more, more spiritual than me sing. And what you've done is you've said God couldn't forgive you. God couldn't work in your life. And so you have been hindered from doing what God asked you to do. And the second thing it does is, is it robs other people of a blessing. Because if you don't do what God has called you to do, someone is going to miss out on the blessing from the talent God's given you. You say, well, Jake, what does that mean? For instance, if tonight I was to stand here and tell you, I cannot be your pastor. I've, I've just made too many mistakes. God can't forgive me. I'm a broken mess. It would affect you. Some of would be sad. Some of would be extremely happy. I'm okay with that. But you would hopefully realize that it would change your life. And some of you need to realize that you are just that important even though you're not up here. Some of you are called to teach children Sunday school. But you won't do it for whatever reason. I, I just can't do it. I'm not up to it. I don't have the gifts. I'm not talented enough. I've made too many mistakes. I get too nervous. But yet those children are missing the gift that God gave you. Some of you would love to be involved in other areas, but yet you cannot get over the mistakes of your past. And what has happened is God has given you something to use and you won't use it. And so tonight, I want to ask you this one simple question. Have you been forgiven? Tonight, have you truly experienced the forgiveness of God? Because what it says here is, if you'll ask for it, there is no limit to what you can be forgiven from. He forgave him all his debts. Tonight, if you've been forgiven and you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ tonight, are you willing to forgive others? I mean, really forgive them. Not just be kind to them in public or not help them change a flat tire if they break down, but I mean genuinely forgive them. Or maybe tonight you're just here and you are thankful that you are forgiven. And you want to get along with God and tell him how thankful you are. You see, in this passage of scripture, if that servant had have just forgiven, what would have happened? Nothing. He would have been free. But his unforgiveness put him back in a prison that his master had already forgiven him from. Now, don't miss that. That's extremely important. Your unforgiveness tonight will put you in a prison that Jesus already died to set you free from. 
Now, tonight, if that was the case, if they literally called Ren Lake and there was someone in Big Money that had been wrongly convicted and said, you need to come out, you're set free, the government, the state took 13 months to get the paperwork done, but after all that nightmare, you are free to go. Doors open and you walk out and you get to the, to the, to the front lobby. I've never been in the Big Money prison, so you'll just have to just don't go there yourself on purpose, but um, unless you're called to do prison ministry, but... And you get to the front door and you said, you know what? I think I really probably have done enough other stuff that I'll just check myself back in. You'd look at him and say, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Nobody's going to do that. But friends, that's what happens to you when you won't forgive. You put yourself back in the prison that God has set you free from. Don't put yourself somewhere where God has set you free. Pray with me tonight. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, tonight I know I used a lot of scripture. I know I tried to stay on point. But God, I want tonight to be from you and you alone. Lord, tonight I pray that you would be dealing with hearts. Lord, those folks that are hurting tonight, those folks that are just broken tonight, God, that you would do what only you can to them. Show them, work with them, carry them if needed be. Father, tonight, for those folks that are here that know they should forgive but won't, God, tonight I pray that your Holy Spirit would soften their hearts. Don't let them harden them, God. Let them come to a place of tenderness and mercy and grace. And Father, tonight I pray that you'd speak to this church and help us to realize how great and wonderful and merciful you have been to us. Lord, help tonight be the night that we rekindle our first love for you because of what you have done for us. Tonight, I don't know what needs to go on here tonight, God, but you do. And so, Lord, whether it's someone being saved, reconciliation being brought together, or God, just a time of thanksgiving, I pray that you would do it for your glory and your glory alone. And I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.